So today we celebrate the feast of the baptism of the Lord. And if you think about it, it's kind of an odd feast because why does Jesus need to be baptized? If you're thinking that question, you're thinking the exact same question John the Baptist had, right? Because John the Baptist, he says, Lord, it's you who should be baptizing me. But Jesus says, allow it for now. For thus it is fitting to fulfill all righteousness. What is that all about? It still leaves that question, okay, why? Why does that fulfill all righteousness? I can come up with three reasons, maybe. And it's less to prove Jesus' righteousness, but to give us righteousness. There we go. All right. Because John, he had this baptism. It was a baptism of repentance, right? We hear that in the Gospels. It's this baptism of repentance. So people would go to John, they'd get baptized to say sorry to God for their sins. But it wasn't the same baptism we have now. It did not actually have the power to forgive sins. It was simply a sign of repentance. It was a good thing to do, though. And so Jesus went. But what did Jesus have to repent for? Nothing, right? Because Jesus is God, and God can't sin. It's literally and logically impossible. Like, because sin is turning away from God, right? And God can't turn away from himself. That's just kind of goofy. So Jesus can't sin. So what does he have to repent of? Nothing. But he still wants to have that experience of repentance. Because we have that experience of repentance. We need that experience of repentance. And when God became a human being, he wanted to experience everything that we do, including repentance. There's this ancient principle in the church. It goes back to at least the fourth century. It was articulated by St. Gregory Nazianzus. He's one of these guys uh, called the Cappadocian Fathers. They're incredibly important to the church's theology. They were in the fourth century. Him, St. Basil the Great, and St. Gregory of Nyssa, they all kind of worked together. They're amazing. But what he said was, what has not been assumed cannot be redeemed. And so Jesus takes on this repentance to redeem it so that we're capable of having true repentance. You know, we always, we get, in, we get ourselves in trouble, right? We, we repent, but not always for the right reasons, not all the way. And so Jesus enters that so that we can truly repent of our sins. So that's what he's doing. He's entering our experience so that he can perfect it. And another thing he perfects in this experience is the water itself. So in John's baptism, this water, it's a symbol of washing away these sins, right? Well, we still have that symbol in our baptism. And we still have that baptism, that repentant aspect of it, because our sacramental baptism that we experienced, we had one today. It was an awesome day to get baptized. We have that dying to sin 
because it has no power over us anymore. That's part of our baptism. But we, we use this water. When Jesus was baptized, he purified and sanctified the water itself. Because his holiness is contagious in a way. And so when he was baptized by John, his holiness, it got into this water. And then this water, it went into the Jordan River. And normally I would say it flew out to the ocean, but the Jordan goes to the Dead Sea. So it doesn't quite work that easily. It had to get evaporated and go into rain because middle school water cycle class, right? So this water, it goes, it gets into the rain and the rain goes and falls on the earth. And so now all the water has kind of caught Jesus's holiness, so to speak. And so all water has become sanctified for baptism. It's become good for baptism. And so after we have that repentant aspect of baptism where we die to sin, in our baptism, the Holy Spirit raises us up back to life and puts that fire of Jesus Christ in us when we pour the water over that oftentimes newborn's head saying, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And that brings me to my third point. The baptism of Jesus revealed a lot about God to us too. Because if you notice, Jesus is standing there getting baptized. So we have God the Son active in this story. We also hear about a dove symbolizing God, the Spirit. And we hear a voice coming from heaven, that's God the Father. We have all three of the Trinitarian persons of God acting in a very noticeable way, and perhaps the first time in the Bible. God always acts with all of his persons. But this time it's really obvious. God wants us to see it. That's one of the reasons that this feast used to be a part of Epiphany. God revealing himself to us. That's what epiphany means. And so God has revealed at this feast that he is Father, Son, and Spirit. He is a communion of persons. But that's not all. He also is revealing something through Jesus Christ. Jesus wants to have this fully human experience because he has become fully human. But there's something else too. When you hear a voice from heaven calling someone their beloved son, that's a pretty good indicator that they're also divine. So today, God also reveals that Jesus Christ is both fully human and fully divine. These are the two greatest mysteries of our faith. Two of the things we argue the most about. If you've found a really good heresy, usually it's about one of those two things. God, Father, Son, and Spirit is revealed today. And Jesus Christ, true God and true man, is revealed today. And so let's just take a moment. Let's ponder that mystery. Let's thank God for this great gift of his baptism in which he revealed these things and in our baptism through which we are cleansed and purified and made members of God's kingdom.